Welcome to another episode of Not Investment Advice. We got the boys here. We got Jack Butcher, founder of Visualize Value, with a good morning, Tion. What's going on, mate? And then we got everybody. What's going on? And then we got Trunk Fan with his special flower shirt hoodie. Uh, if old school NIA listeners will know what that is, but he's got his flower hoodie on and I'm Bilal Zaidi. Uh, so we've got a packed agenda today. So let's quickly uh, call out what we're going to talk about. So we're going to talk about the inflection points of Web3. This was a suggestion in Telegram group. Uh, so there's a bunch of stuff to go in there. We're going to talk a little bit about the potential for a bear market and what that might look like. We'll get on to Axie Infinity, uh, the play-to-earn model, and kind of like that whole world, how it's evolved over time. And then potentially, if we've got time, we'll talk about social tokens as well. Um, so boys, look, the first one we want to talk about is inflection points of Web3. Like this could be a three-hour chat on its own. So for the sake of focus, um, I guess the question, I mean, it was from Scott W. in the in the WhatsApp, uh, in the Telegram group. He said, what do you guys think of the key inflection points to watch from Web3, i.e. Coinbase, Robinhood, modular L2 scaling, memes, etc. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I'll just throw it out to you guys. I mean, when you think of that big question, is there anything that you think of straight away? The um, two anou- no, go ahead, Jack. I was just going to say the two announcements this week's uh, Coinbase and Stripe. So Coinbase announced that they're launching an NFT marketplace Q4 of this year. So within the next few weeks, and they've got to have something almost ready to go, surely. Um, and Stripe, I don't know how many, how, I didn't read much into the Stripe announcement, but Stripe are building a crypto team focused. I think they use the language Web3 in the announcement, right? So uh, the implication being that they're going to um, build the infrastructure layer for tokenized commerce, which is... Wasn't that a Patrick Collison interview on CNBC maybe two months ago? Where I think he got asked about crypto and it's like, yeah, we're not that interested in crypto. And was like that recently? This- because I know in 2018, I think that they launched like Bitcoin or some crypto um, like payments or something where you could like add that to your Shopify store if you're using Stripe or whatever you're using. And then they got rid of it. So I think a lot of people are saying, oh, you could have done this a few years ago. Like we're, now you're getting back on it because it's hot again, which is completely fair enough. Like that's how it goes no, they, down they, sometimes. They, they unwounded their team uh, from three years ago, which was the the criticism. Um, but uh, before uh, before you guys go, keep going on about the Web3 inflection points. I just want to say is like when we did the spaces a couple of weeks ago and sorry, listeners, we haven't been very consistent on that. We've, we're, we're, we've done it one time. So you, you know the whole thing. I think Jack posted a tweet a while back. It's like, if you do 25 podcasts, you're like in the top 1% of, of uh, podcasters. We are not in the top 1% of Twitter spaces. <laughs> we are yeah, we need to one come of up with, thousands of people yeah, yeah. that tried we, once. Just for people listening, because a few people pinged us, if you want to come to the spaces, we'll announce it beforehand so that you're not like waiting around or whatever. And no, we're but the reason on a format exclusive yeah. to spaces that would make sense rather than exactly. just getting exactly. on Well, the reason yeah, I yeah. brought it up is because uh, the one spaces we did... Uh, Rick Burton, early employee at Stripe, but who ended up leaving, uh, he carried that spaces for us. But he was bringing it up is like he he worked at Stripe. He actually worked did some early contributions to Ethereum, and now he's very involved in DeFi. And Rick was just saying is like the way he looks at Stripe and Web three and crypto is like 
the the opportunity set for people in uh, in in the Ethereum space is like what can Stripe not do, right? So Stripe right now today, uh, obviously they're massive, two hundred and fifty billion dollar private company uh, based on recent secondaries. And their whole mission is to increase the GDP of the internet, but they are very, they're playing along with the existing systems, right? It's like uh, know your customer, KYC, AML, anti-money laundering. They're very above board with all those things. So Rick was basically saying, it's like, what will these guys not do uh, because of the restrictions they kind of set themselves in? Like that's the opportunity set for Ethereum. So I think that was uh, an interesting point based on uh we know Stripe has announced they got more crypto people. It's like, but how far can they actually take it based on the fact that they're playing very much in the existing system? And and um, we almost used this last week. So uh, if you're in the Telegram group, you heard this announcement. We are officially incorporated, not investment advice, <laughs> media, <laughs> Inc. There we go. And uh, no, we did use Stripe. We used Stripe Atlas to, yeah. to incorporate yeah, it. And that I think is the most interesting or exciting piece of it for me is like these guys have the legal firepower and the um, you know financial regulation experience to bring some level of um, like peace of mind to people that are launching and building this stuff. So there are obviously companies and and businesses that are not going to even t- begin to touch crypto because they don't have the in-house um knowledge or or um they don't have the they don't have the 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 level of confidence in this infrastructure that they would have if someone like stripe represented it right so i think like stripe building plug and play first is like payment gateways but you can see them expanding to like DAOs and social tokens and things that are just like regulatory shit storms for people who don't have legal expertise you can imagine that's going to be an area of focus for them as well which is yeah, could, pretty exciting can you imagine like the atlas thing that we used like that for a DAO or any of these things like even creator tokens like there's so many things that mm-hmm. we don't know what they're going to be focused on but they've like you said to me that it's only a good thing like they're obviously legitimate one of the best companies in the world in this space, they're like crushing the game. And for them to be involved, for them to come in into the space, it's going to take things to another level, which I think it needs to, you know, like the, like all the kind of boring stuff, like, you know, you just kind of mentioned like regulation and stuff like that. Like I fall asleep when I hear the word regulation, Mm -hmm. but like (laughs) that's why you pay, you know, Stripe Atlas, you know, where we pay like $500 or whatever to do Mm -hmm. it in 10 minutes. Yeah. And in the past, when I've, um, you know, created LLC or something, it was like me on a PDF, like filling it out and like figuring out what to do. So I think that's a really important thing. Um, the other thing I want to call out is Naval had a tweet this week, which I thought really perfectly encapsulated like what the shift is, is going on here from Web 2 to Web 3. So he said, Web 2 users are the data, corporations own the platform and the code is closed. Web 3 users own their data contributors on the platform and code is open so if you look at that sort of kind of definition i think again like you know this is a centralized company obviously there's nothing wrong with centralized companies on their own but if they are embracing kind of a new generation of organizations and uh, protocols or whatever i think it's only a good thing so i think like people like them coming on board coinbase like you said nfts i saw the numbers this morning um, apparently they've already got like several X 
you know, times of people signed up for the waitlist and OpenSea that does have users oh, or really? something like that. Oh, so there. I don't yeah. know if that's accurate, but um, I saw a tweet, so it must be real. <laughs> yeah. the funny, funny thing I saw was uh, the the site that they built to display the number of signups. The, the CSS they didn't code the box to contain the signup number with enough decimal p- places. So it's like the number of people on the waitlist goes outside the box that they oh, designed to hold big. it. Yeah. So <laughs> I, maybe that's just like some funny bug, but it's kind of a quirky uh, observation that someone made said like their expectations have been blown out of the water on how many people are, are interested in, in getting involved in this stuff. But another massive, uh, just and a then, massive on-ramp. Yeah. And, and then if you think of companies like Robinhood as well, Right, obviously a touchy subject in the space given what happened to Wall Street bets or whatever. But like even they are They're launching wallets. Yeah, they're they're launching, launching wallets. Wallet. I actually had lunch with someone from Robinhood this weekend who I won't say the name in case they said something not they're not supposed to, but they're working on on this stuff and they are trying to figure out like how do I make this you know super user friendly the same way the rest of the Robinhood app is incredibly user friendly. Um and I, and to me that's kind of like the level of you know, like mainstream adoption will come from companies like this helping it along. I know like pure crypto people kind of hate to hear that because they just, I think a lot of them think like we're in this utopia where there's this decentralized companies and a bunch of people in a discord creating the next revolution. I think that is happening, but they also, if there's going to be hundreds of millions or billions of people who come into this new ecosystem, they don't, like they don't care about the word decentralization in my opinion like they care about is this secure do i make money is this quick is it fun to do like you know all the things um like the benefits basically and i think like the days of us like writing down a seed phrase on a piece of paper and expecting the whole world to do that is not realistic so um yeah so for me thinking of this question like the going back to the question inflection points i think we're starting to hit that right now with companies like Stripe, Coinbase, Robinhood, etc. But then the other things I'll bring up and I want to get your take on is regulation and policy, which is a whole topic in itself, user experiences, wallets, and adoption of mobile. Because in my opinion, a lot of the crypto stuff on mobile is like terrible. Like the user experience isn't that great. On ramps from the, for the general population, so that's like fiat on ramps, uh, being able to easily uh, you know trade stuff. Um, but yeah, so those are a few ideas I had, but curious what you guys think the other components are. No, I, I can jump in with a couple, I think, uh, milestones and, uh, and inflection points. So the commercialization and improvement in, in user interfaces is like part of this. I mean, Jack's talked about it in the past, right? It's like if if you're a diehard maximalist, whether Bitcoin or crypto, and, and you're just like, whatever, you have to have the keys like on a metal plate, like under, like Jack does, right? Underneath his dog, a kettlebell. It's like, you're just not going to, man, my parents still can barely use email, right? It's like, how, how are they going to use, how are they going to figure out crypto? My mom still hits me up once a month. You know, the joke about like your, your parents asking you about the email stuff is like, it still happens, right? Yeah. 100%. So like uh, the, the, the ease of use is such a big part of it, but I think there's a couple of levels that we'll see. And the way I'll frame it is 50,000 foot. Ben Thompson, Stratech, we've talked about in the past, big tech writer. He's written about it. It's like, if you look at how long it took for the internet to develop, right? Is like, you had basically the late 70s when 
the defense, the U.S. Defense Department was connecting universities and different organizations of the government. That's kind of like the early internet. And then the kind of early 90s is when it, it started to get more commercialized and consumer facing. It's like, if you think about crypto, we're still at the equivalent of like 1989 for the internet, right? It's just like, if you think about that, that was 30 years ago. So it's probably 20 to 30 years of development of user interfaces, business models for crypto. And it's just, although crypto is moving even faster than the internet did in terms of adoption, right? So maybe you could shrink that 30-year timeline down to like 10 or 15 years. Having said that, there's a long way to go. And I think the, the kind of milestones you're seeing is like, you're seeing, for example, the uh, SEC chair, uh, commissioner, chairman uh, Gensler said, we're not going to ban crypto, right? That was pretty big. Um, you're seeing all these all the institutional money trying to figure ways out to get into crypto. That's a huge milestone. You're seeing um, you're seeing the, the corporations put it on the balance sheet. Obviously, Tesla's done it. Square's done it. A number of other uh, MicroStrategy obviously has done it big time with Michael Saylor. But these are all like the commercialization and the institutionalization of Bitcoin and, and in crypto in general. I think these are like quote unquote the inflection points. But I, I, what I'll go back to with you guys started with uh, with uh, Coinbase NFT, Jack called it a huge on-ramp. And then Stripe uh, rebuilding its crypto team is like, goes back to that, man. It's like, how easy is this stuff to use? And while you're talking about Stripe, the thing that I wanted to bring up was, now one of Stripe's board members is Mark Carney, who's the former, I mean, he was the former Bank of England, the central, uh, the top guy at the Bank of England, and he's Canadian. He's also the former uh, Bank of Canada head. So when you're talking about somebody with the gravitas to, you know, to mainstream these things, it's like having Stripe with their KYC, their AML in place. And there's certain things they can't do, but there's going to be a large subset of society. It's going to be way more comfortable doing the Stripe Atlas equivalent of a DAO on a click, right? Uh, versus doing it themselves. Actually, Dapper Labs launched a DAO-specific thing also. It's called the uh, Dapper Collective. So clearly it's being attacked, right? This 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 organization. Actually, Jack, can you talk through more what the what a DAO looks like and how different that is from like a regular corporation and like to your understanding uh, how that could change how people organize? Yeah, I, th- I mean, we talked about this. I think the first time we brought this up was the um, Bitcoin week the live from Miami right. episode <laughs> of, uh, of NIA. And it feels like even since then, the definition or at least the understanding of it has changed. But at a high level, I think it's one, it's like a, a frictionless way to like distribute equity from the beginning to a certain number of people in, uh, you know, coordinating to achieve something, right? And I think one of the one of the pillars of what a DAO is and how it how it differs from an LLC or an S corp or whatever other traditional business structure is that there's like it implies that there's some governance structure in place when you set it up. So maybe you say we're going to have a hundred members in this DAO. They're going to own one percent each, and everyone gets one vote on every proposal that we put through this thing. Uh, that's not something that you would put in a contract on legal zoom or whatever whatever legal team you would use to form an llc so i think um i'm not uh i'm not as exposed to this as some people in my network but it feels to me like the 
intention and the equity is distributed in a much more like by design at the beginning of the life of a DAO with like a a focus or an objective in mind. And I think there's also like a lot of stuff LARPing as this thing, right? And sort of figuring it out and building the plane as it flies, which, you know, makes a ton of sense as well. People are going to experiment, but the like the most effective use of the structure, I don't think we're even close to beginning seeing what it can achieve, like aligning incentives globally and like really reducing the friction of like moving capital around. I think at a high level, that's what a DAO is, is trying to accomplish. And um, yeah, I think it just, it just attracts, there's no crazy interview process or office building or like all of the, roadmap for creating a business is compressed and um i think that is more of a that's more of a philosophical difference than maybe the like the technicalities of the contract but um yeah that's that's my understanding of it there's probably a lot more nuance in there but um that's what i'm thinking about it so far and just to add i've got a definition here if that's helpful because uh and this is from a listener of the show but also our friend uh, Drew Riley's got a, a newsletter called Trends.vc. You should check it out. He did a whole write-up on DAOs, and his definition here is a DAO is a group with no central. So DAOs are a group with no central management. Individuals coordinate around a shared set of rules to achieve a common goal, which is what you said. And then well-known DAOs include Bitcoin and Ethereum. They're transparent, unstoppable, mm. user-owned networks. So I think that's quite a nice, succinct um, definition of it um but yeah gone sorry i was gonna say like with the bitcoin and ethereum example i think that's kind of a it's interesting because there is still a person that that is or a group of people in the case of bitcoin maybe that are driving a very specific thing and then people can gather around it versus like some of the DAOs now it's like we're gonna do this everyone get involved right it's kind of an interesting difference there's like governance token, like I don't, again, know enough about the Bitcoin Ethereum example, but it doesn't mean like all DAOs are just, everyone is a free-for-all, come and just like make decisions on the future of Ethereum. There's like different, you know, there's a core team from what I understand who are working on it full-time and then there's contributors. So nowadays, especially in crypto, you can go and work with three, four, five of these at a time. And if you're a programmer or you're a designer, you can go and hang out in the discord a lot of the time they'll have like bounties and they'll have tasks and you can just say oh i I, i'm a designer i can design this for them and and that's it's just a little bit more of an open transparent way of doing it versus wear your suit and do a job interview Bilal style 2010 you know what i mean (laughs) so (laughs) so yeah i mean i know that's a slight tangent but i think it's it's a good point to bring up because i feel like DAOs are quite an important part of you know this whole ecosystem um, it doesn't mean there's not going to be, you know, centralized companies that are also contributing, but we're going to see more examples of these kind of openly and these transparent organizations being built, essentially. Make it super philosophical is like, why would a DAO exist versus a corporate? Why does a corporation exist as it is, right? And so uh, Ronald Coase is a famous economist, and he was actually talking about why the, the, the logic behind why corporation exists is because ultimately... The number one thing is it reduces transaction costs. It's like if you're in 1950s and you're starting a company 
and you wanted an economist, I mean, sorry, if you wanted an accountant, a lawyer, and uh, and some admin work, I mean, it's not like you can hit the internet and go contact these people on Fiverr, right? Like you literally got to source your neighborhood, go through your network. And the only way you can oversee their work is have them all in one place, right? So the existence and the building up of a corporation in the mid 20th century makes all the sense in the world. It's because the transaction cost of having these uh, arm's length relationship is just impossible, right? But obviously now with the internet and then you add this extra layer of crypto, it's like the transaction cost and the friction of having someone quote unquote full-time working with you in a corporation has gone effectively to zero. And don't get me wrong, there are negatives to this, right? Uh, the contractor life is in many ways not, you know, it's not a romantic life at all, right? Like you don't have health benefits and you don't have job security and uh, you still have to figure out ways. I mean, it's even today, right? They're getting paid is they like got to hunt down contracts and there are startups that help people hunt down contracts as contractors. But having said that, it's like the logic of why corporations existed they're going away in the face of essentially frictionless communication and, and and cooperative tools, right? So the DAO kind of fits as a as a logical extreme of what happens when you take away this the reason for why corporations existed. I will say uh, my opinion though is I think it's amazing that these things exist, and I think we're going to see more of them. And it's just something I haven't fully thought through properly, but I also. My opinion is that for certain types of organizations, you need less people making decisions than more. So like sometimes having, you know, like an Apple, for example, if Apple is a DAO, I don't think it works to <laughs> the, the level it is today. You know what I mean? Maybe there'll be other benefits and they'll do amazing things in a different way. And to be fair, maybe in 2021, it would be different. But I'm saying like what they did for the last 30 years or whatever uh, or more, a, a lot of that was centralized thinking and it was about steve jobs my way or the highway johnny ive gets full ownership and gets to make tough decisions and i think just having worked with forget DAOs and crypto for a minute just even startups in the kind of like silicon valley vc back mode a lot of these companies have become more open in air quotes because of slack which i think was a, a positive step versus email but i also find there's a lot of noise that is created Right, totally. because there's too many cooks in the kitchen, and anyone can ask a question, and everything becomes an emergency. So, I think the evolution of these sort of organizations needs to account for rapid decision making and you know, actually executing on things, which to be fair, it seems like they are in many of these crypto cases. Um, but that's where you're often working with a lot of technical people where you've got like a black and white ship this or don't ship it sort of work when you include like the gray area stuff of marketing and creative and you know sales like all the kind of softer stuff that's where i think it becomes a little bit harder to say here's a bounty for this particular task so anyway i think it's overall a positive thing um but yeah just wanted to share that and just one other thing i want to call out is there's a differentiation from the original question inflection points there's a differentiation to be made between the technology moving forward and the industry moving forward versus the price of assets and the price of Bitcoin, Ethereum, et cetera. Because I think a lot of the time people put those two things together. And let's say we go into a bear market, which likely will happen. And this was also a question we're going to touch on. Uh, you know, there's generally cycles of bull markets and, and bear markets. Right now, we're still pretty much in a bull market. Um, in 2018, when everything dropped 80%, there was still teams around the world building stuff 
and they kept progressing. NFTs, you know, started to ramp up in their own world. They built the technology for that. Ethereum kept progressing. But the price of everything dropped, which normally means a lot of people are no longer interested like they were previously. So I, I guess the question for you guys is, um, how do you feel like things, how will things be different this time if we do go into a bear market in the next two years or so? In terms of the amount of people that will shake out? Yeah, basically. And the inflection, you know, the, I, to me, it's part of the inflection points because at some point we're going to get in a negative spiral where there's all the FUD and, you know, the, the bear market, if there is one in the way that it usually has been. How do you see that playing out with all the other things we kind of touched on? Wow, enough of the FUD, man. Jesus, Christmas, <laughs> what is going on, bro? <laughs> You're scaring me. Oh, wow. I'm, sell, I'm selling some Bitcoin right now. Yeah, man. No, <laughs> no, no, go ahead. Go ahead, no, Jack. Go, go ahead, Jack. What are you saying? I, I I mean, I think there's like an exponential difference between the market then and now, just yeah. in terms of like of the saturation and understanding and adoption and the like the status of players that are like I think even back in 2017 2018, like there was no mention of this stuff in congressional hearings and like it was such a fringe concept on on like financial news everything and you know famous last words this time it's different but it does feel like there is at least a like we've kind of reached at least a um like a point of no return on the people who are in it are in it i think like you get past the point of understanding and i think of the like broader there's way more people that have been onboarded into crypto culture but from 2017 to 2021 than there was from like the beginning of time to 2017 and i think like that like i think people are aware of the risks and even as a culture and a society like that risk tolerance has increased exponentially in 3 or 4 years just based on the volatility of the world and the way things are operated and coronavirus and all of these other things that people have just like we just had such a stark contrast in how everything works in the last few years that it's probably inevitable that you're going to get a massive market movements in both directions but it feels to me like the value proposition is is so ingrained at this point that like no one's going to abandon not no one i say the percentage of people that will completely abandon the idea of like global networks of cooperation and payment and things of that nature just feels like it's not going to happen in the same way that it did back then. There was all yeah, this regular regulatory speculation, like, Oh, some one day someone's just going to come and say, Bitcoin's illegal. Ethereum's illegal. Like you can't transact in this, that, and that, or if you put this into your bank, I think the maturity of all the businesses building on and off ramps at this point, we saw that Andreessen Horowitz thing come out. I hadn't read the totality of it, but people building, you know. What's the Andreessen Horowitz thing? Can you tell the listeners? That? So as far as I understand it, they're like setting up a division that is dedicated to crypto policy. Lobbying, yeah, there's yeah, a lobbying thing, but they're like, here's the vision we have for the implementation of crypto and Web3 in a way that will you know be beneficial to the economy and etc so that feels to me like what was this like speculative thing that no one was sure whether or not it would ever cross the mainstream threshold three years ago is now like 
everybody has some exposure to it. I imagine the Thanksgiving conversation uh, will be different right. for a lot of people this well, year. Well, you t- want to talk about inflection points, right? That's one of the, I mean, you nailed it. That's one of the inflection points. It's like, it's almost inconceivable that this thing will get wiped by the U- the Western governments. I mean, China's a different story, right? It's its own thing. But in the United States now, I mean, the whole crypto space is worth $3 trillion. And, and Jack says, how many people are involved? In, how many hundreds of millions of people have some exposure to crypto? It's because incons- it, so much of it is uh, psychology, right? So you can actually be very safe now as an individual to believe that it won't get mm-hmm. wiped by regulate. That's a massive inflection point. <laughs> no, <laughs> but I mean, like, no, no, I agree, I agree. No, but I mean, to your point, right? Listen, I'm the op- I'm not blouse eighty here trying to fund people out of their holding. How did I become the fund <laughs> yeah. one? I'm just asking the question. Yeah, Fiat fan is now the one being like, "Hey guys, we've crossed the Rubicon. There's no going back." I mean, it really does feel like there's no going back, right? And and uh, well, there's there's two points I'd like to make. Is uh, number one is. If there's a massive sell-off, we know there's going to be support from Michael Saylor. So the, the furthest this thing's going to drop is $20,000, right? Yeah. You know, He's going to be the support line. Yeah. This is going to yeah. be a Saylor support. It's the Atlas, the yeah. Atlas yeah. and the Boulder. Bro, yeah. you, know, you know Michael Saylor will single-handedly keep this thing above 20K. Michael oh, Saylor and Pump will keep it above 20K. Uh, so the other Trump- one... Trunk, yeah, can I just yeah. say, since you're accusing me of being FUD, right? <laughs> no, no, just to clarify, what I mean by this is, so clearly I'm very pro all of this. I'm just trying to ask questions to figure out like what always, would happen Always if asking happened. questions, bro. That's how it always That's starts. It. That's just asking starts. questions. But look, just to, just to paint a picture for people who weren't following it super closely, which is probably no one uh, because everyone listening to this is into this stuff. But in 2017, the price of Bitcoin from around now, which is the beginning of October, went from roughly, I think, 5K all the way up to 20K hit the height, right? Like near Christmas or whatever yeah. it was. Everyone's at home. I had my ledger with me and I thought I was retiring, right? So that was kind of the, the euphoria moment. And then in the next year, uh, I don't know the exact timeline, it dropped around 80% or something like it that. It fell down to like three and a half, I think. Three and exactly, thousand. exactly. Yeah. And even up that was your lunch, moment to retire, Bilal. That was Lord, it. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, listen, if Bilal never sold his Google, he could also retire. So there's a lot of, <laughs> That's true. Lot, there's a lot of moments when Bilal can look back. And like, That's for sure. Like, but anyway, right. the, what I'm saying is I personally, and I'm not trying to make any price predictions here, but from where we are today to the end of the year, which my hope is we still continue this crazy bull run. Um, Hundred. Just I'm say saying. Bro. I'm saying a drop from that moment, which I think is just the natural flow that we've seen for ten years, right? It might be slightly different this time, but I agree with what you both said. I do think it is different this time because each time there's this huge ball run, more people get involved, more people learn about it, and you become like not just someone who's speculating, but someone who understands what's actually going on. I'd put myself in that versus last time where I was like, how do I make money from it? So I do think it's different. And um, I think if you just think of like the adoption curve, we're kind of in the early majority stage probably, right? So it's like where people were just these people hacking in a room. We're getting to the point where people hear about it all the time. So I do think it's going to be different, but I do think there's going to be there will be a bear market. That that is to me. Yo, Jack, get happens. this guy out of here, man. Mute <laughs> this guy. No, no, no. I'm just covering myself. You, you hold on, hold on, hold on. Bilal, let me let me actually add, let me add a couple words about uh. Well, actually, so 
I did a little Michael Saylor. I know Jack earlier. I know Jack's gone down this rabbit hole. I don't know if Bilal has, but Jack, you've definitely gone down like multiple hours of listening and watching Michael Saylor. Yeah. M- yeah many, okay. many hours. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I went, I went through one recently, which is, which I'll be very honest to the listeners here. It's like fully convinced me that Bitcoin's inevitable. Like you bought I'm more fully, that day, no, right? Yeah. But I'm 100% on board. And it's, I went down a rabbit hole and uh, no, but he's like, he had a great explanation for why it's so volatile. Like I, I hate how like logical and well thought out this guy is. It's just like he's like, yeah, man. Bitcoin trades twenty four seven. It's a global asset, and people can go ten to hundred times levered. Right? It's like no wonder something crazy is gonna happen. It's just like the the amount of trading and leverage involved is just orders of magnitude more than with uh, the stock market. Right? And that just makes all the sense in the world to me. But then he's like, whatever. You put on a log graph. Uh, uh, it doesn't matter, right? You just look at it, it's just like this. And uh, I just loved his, uh, all I'll add is, I'm sure a lot of listeners have heard it, but like the one that really crystallized with me is just his explanation of, it's just monetary energy, right? It's like, it's like the way he describes Bitcoin as, as what is ultimately money and money systems, right? It's like moving information around. And Bitcoin is just like the greatest way ever to store this monetary energy. And he's like, he's like, if you think about what are sails on a sailboat, they're to there to capture wind, right? And wind energy. It's like Bitcoin is, if you think about it from a physics standpoint, is the exact same. And it is based literally in physics, right? It's like you're all the energy that's being used to mine. It's like, this is like the perfect instrument. And uh yeah, man. I, I didn't know how Fiat I, I got fan is out the game. Well, I, dude. But anyways, the only reason I'm dropping Which, those two things is like I wanted the sailor quote of the joke about sailor as a price support. And more so, it's just, man, just crystallized in my head recently going down the, the rabbit Which hole. interview was it, Tron? With uh, Diamandis. Oh, mate, you got to do the 12-hour What is Money <laughs> with Robert Breedlove. <laughs> Okay. That will get you, mate. You're done. Get that on in the car. I'll listen the, the, to that, to be fair. Oh, mate. The, the foot, like the opening, the opening line, I think he describes a eagle like dropping a mountain goat <laughs> over the side of a cliff. Mate, it's just unbelievable. You got to listen to it. It's uh, the, like the visual, old... the visual language he's got. He's just nailed the visual language, right? He's an incredible marketer, man. Just unbelievable next level. And because of, I think, his background, it's like you don't even think of what he's saying as marketing. You think it was like a physics teacher or something. Oh, yeah, but dude, he's a genius he's marketer. It. It's incredible. Um, but th- th- I was just going to say, like, just to follow up on what you both said around the, like, one of his other points, not to make this a sailor fest, but the inevitability of a network when it gets to a certain size, it like one of his, I think it's like a 19, um, maybe, maybe early 2000, sorry. Um, when, um, when was the first iPhone? 2008? 2007 was when 2007. It was. So yeah. I think this interview has to be 2009 or something. So I was way off, but he starts to talk about like, apple as a network and it's like the rate at which this network is growing and i think he has like some benchmark of like um he talks about apple amazon uh maybe some maybe there's another couple of examples probably but facebook past, yeah facebook's another good example so past a certain size these networks are just like it's like they're unstoppable they're perpetual right? the, they're self-perpetuating the, yeah the speed at which they proliferate and like the those networks actually have more standing in their way because they have to like negotiate with 
different governments and get like like bitcoin is a few layers below that right and and it's achieved that same level of significance um the other thing i was going to say is maybe the crypto like the best analogy for the crypto um that 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 like crossing the rubicon thing that we talked about like if you layer the analogy onto like internet adoption right where yeah. you like people when the dot com bubble was going on and i was way too young to sort of be like have a comprehension of what was happening there you may be you may be like while that was happening and after it happened you're like oh maybe this whole internet thing is kind of a joke and it's not gonna work and then you see like the phoenixes rise from the ashes of that and it's like okay what's actually true is that's an amazing technology but 99 of people didn't know what the hell they were doing or weren't like executing properly against the 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 infrastructure that existed and i think people now are on the other side of that argument with crypto where it's like, okay, it's pretty obvious how this can be beneficial to a lot of people around the world, unbanked people, like, you know, the, the systematic differences between this and legacy finance are completely obvious at this point. So yeah, maybe there's a market correction, but there will continue to be people that execute against it. And you got the stripes, the coin bases of the world. Like, I think you probably could make the argument that this industry is attracting the most capable people in the world at, at a ridiculous clip. Yeah. Dude, the other thing too, to your point, I think we probably wrap up this whole section with this one is, uh, uh, well, Bilal can have a last thought. I'm sure he's going to have some more fun for us, but, uh, uh <laughs> so all the companies that went down in 99, right? Like the famous ones like Webvan, uh, uh, pets.com, they were all like potential business models. Just, the internet was way too early, right? The bandwidth wasn't there. And mm -hmm. uh, the, the, the mobile phone wasn't there. It was like, man, a lot of the ones, I mean, all the, all the delivery companies, they existed 20 years ago. It just didn't make any sense then, right? So like, of course, things will flame out, but it's like once the infrastructure is in place, namely, I think we touched on it, it's like how easy can somebody make it for a regular person like my mom to interface with crypto, right? And you probably will lose a lot of that unfortunately some of the decentralization aspect but yeah my mom's just not going to have a metal plate thing of seed words like <laughs> hidden in the back of her garden right like it's just not going to happen so um yeah I, that I, that for me is uh, i think a good uh just to wrap up the whole inflection point convo i think we nailed some pretty good uh top uh points of interest there uh Bilal, last words uh is bitcoin going to zero no no complete no look <laughs> to clarify again <laughs> I clearly believe in this stuff. More than 50% of my liquid <laughs> money is in this stuff. Yeah. Right? So I'm still holding. I've pretty much never sold most, almost anything. Right. So I clearly do believe in that. But the, but the way I see it when I zoom out is I'm like looking at five, 10 right. years plus. And therefore I'm okay when it goes to, in 2018, it drops 8% because the 8% was from a crazy high. So my point yeah. here is if we go from 55, to 200k which i think is more than possible right at the end of this year i'm just saying this as an example right i'm not saying not investment happening. advice not investment advice definitely and then if this time next year we were back to 70k right that right, sounds right. like a crazy drop but we're still way You're higher up. than it was a year ago yeah. exactly so that's to me the definition of when someone might say that's a bear market that's often where you you know you go and reaccumulate you keep buying so to me i'm thinking long term I, I think Bitcoin, Ethereum especially, will be around for a long, long time. The question for me is the other altcoins, uh, a lot of the NFTs that aren't blue chip, 
Like that's how I'm thinking of it as someone who is investing all my money as well. So it's not to say it's going away, obviously. Like that's why I was trying to separate the adoption and technology versus price. Yeah. The last thing I'll say is um, younger people, I think to add to your case, what both of you just said, younger people are expecting higher returns. Right now we've got a whole generation of people who uh, I was listening to the pump uh, show like this morning and one of the pump brothers who's 25 said that all his friends don't want to invest in something unless there's at least a 10x potential for 10x right so us guys who've grown up with s&p 500 8 to 12 percent or whatever we're aiming for are like we're okay with it growing 20 50 percent and knowing that it just brings everything else up but there's a whole generation of people who are wall street bets get you know basically gambling a lot of their money you know up and down which i love don't get me wrong i think it's great that young people are investing but i think that's another thing we're kind of underestimating there's like hundreds of millions of people of that age group whose expectation is a crazy amount of return you know what though more than ever is like being able to buy and hold actually becomes a superpower is like exactly well dude i put up a stat the other day i can wrap up on this with this stat it was like you i don't know if you guys saw but like so KKR, uh, the big uh, PE giant, has $460 billion in assets under management. Um, they, the Henry Kravis and George Roberts, which were the co-CEOs, they both stepped down and they had uh, they have two new co-CEOs now, both veterans of the firm. But the, the, the whole point of why I'm bringing this up is uh, I read an old Forbes article, 2019, and uh, George Roberts, one of the R in KKR, he calculated that if KKR had held on to all their positions – uh, because they're a private equity fund, they have to liquidate. Uh, they, they, they have some permanent capital now, but that wasn't the entirety of the firm. They'd be bigger than Berkshire Hathaway, right? That, that's what the guy came up with. He's like, if we had kept all our investments, so it's two parts of it. It's like, be good at investing. And then also you have to hold on to those investments. We would have been bigger than Berkshire. Um, so man, it's, it's, I think, I mean, pa, I mean uh, sorry, uh, blah, I think that brings up a very interesting point, man. It's like, the reality is you can't have 10x returns, right? And everything. It's like, me. it's just like- Forever, well, especially. Yeah, forever. Maybe you can for a year yeah. or two or even yeah. five, but like- So if you can just have the mindset where like, man, dude, it's just so hard to think long-term. It just really is, right? It's just so hard to think long-term. But if you can, it's like, it really is a superpower because just being able to buy and hold makes a huge difference. Listen, man, dude, you didn't sell through the crash. Neither of you guys did. So you guys are both believers, right? There's no question about it. I mean, Bilal, you you told us, you didn't sell when it crashed. You still have what you bought. I locked it up by purpose because I said, I don't want to think about it. I'm going to put it in cold storage and like, I don't want to be tempted to press a button on my phone. So exactly for that reason. And uh, yeah, so I think that was a great discussion, man. I think there's lots to take away from that. Anything else from you, Jack, before we move on to Axie Infinity? Uh, One more point on uh, the volatility. Your point about like, you know, you see these massive rises and then maybe you correct back down to in a year's time, there's a gain. And I think think one of the like under-discussed things about this is how powerful the Bitcoin narrative is relative to other assets where if Bitcoin gets to 100, 150, 200,000, everyone in the world is like, Bitcoin's going to replace my money. It's not like an it's not like a, a run up stock like a GME or like you know say Apple goes on a tear or something. It's not like my God, there's never going to be another technology to a company to invest in. Bitcoin does have this like completely different 
vibe to it right where it's like and, and oh the my network God. effect all is vibes. unique for that all reason vibes. right the, yeah, yeah, yeah the like um oh, the, the entire future of money is changing i need to get on this train or i'm like i'm destroyed here right so i think like so what you're saying point. is there is no second best is yeah. what I'm hearing? <laughs> <laughs> well actually dude you actually I mean, to, to jack's point is like he talks about the narrative is this is to me this is the simplest crystallization of it all there will be 70 trillion dollars handed down from our parents' generation down to us, right? The millennials from uh, the Gen Xers or I guess even baby boomers, 70 trillion. How much of that is going to gold legitimately, right? What percentage of that $70 trillion is going to gold or to a, uh, a value ETF, right? It's like, that's all you need to think about. It's just, yeah, where is this wave of $70 trillion going if you're being fully real with yourself? There's probably you more on- going into cryptodes than gold. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> cryptodes market cap. Well, I got to say, man, like that are the amount, the number of people in the Telegram group with cryptos, I, I commend you all. I'm, I'm sitting on the sidelines just watching all you, all you legends just make them gains. Oh respect. my goodness. All right. Um, that What's was a next? good chat, boys. No, no, that was really, really good. J- Jack, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Was there anything oh, else? Oh, yeah, Jack, sorry, man. No, I I, I think that just fear and greed is exponential in an asset like this is all I'm, like, I saw mm. it end in. Yeah, that's a great way to summarize, man. All right, boys. Yeah, that was that was really good. I'm, I enjoyed that. All right, let's talk about Axie Infinity. Um, we've mentioned it a few times on the show. Uh, I know, Trung, you've been digging into it a little bit and specifically the model. Um, I think yeah. the question you were trying to answer was, will it's this model Omar. work in the future? Omar yeah. asked, will this model work in the future and will it be the go-to model? So first of all, why don't we explain what Axie Infinity is and what model he's talking about, right? Because, okay. Yeah. So, yeah, I'll uh, I'll walk again. Not, this is not any of my original thinking, man. This is all from John Lai, the Andreessen Horowitz uh, uh, partner. I think he does gaming. But uh, he's written a number of threads on Axie and just a little bit of Axie reading. But uh, so the first thing I'll say about Axie is this. The CEO's name is Trung. Like, let's just set the stage. This is he's on to this, a winner. Th- this Trung is way more <laughs> legit than me, man, and way richer, right? So let's just put that. So this literally a Vietnamese dude. I think he lives in Ho Chi Minh City, where I lived for five years. But uh, he's way richer than me. I'm going to say that again. Um, Trung Nguyen is his name. He's way richer than me. But uh, not <laughs> All right, dude. Axie Infinity, here it is. Sky Mavis is the name of the uh, game maker. And so they, the, the founding legend of Axie Infinity, which uh, from a top level, you can think of as a Pokemon built with NFTs. So that's like, that should be the heuristic for you. Pokemon's built with NFTs. That's a lot of buzzwords, but we'll tease that out. So they started the game basically after seeing CryptoKitties, which if uh, people don't remember during the run-up that Bilal talked about earlier, the 2017 run-up, Crypto Kitties was created by Dapper Labs, which is the team behind NBA Top Shop. So they basically created the first uh, NFT type of collectible, right? Which were these uh, kittens, these uh, these digital kittens that you could breed and like each would have individual features, which we are now very familiar with, with Board uh, Ape Yacht Club and obviously Toads. But like Crypto Kitties was the first round of that. And uh, Trung Nguyen, this legend, uh, I saw what was happening in Crypto Kitties. I wanted to kind of build a game using that breeding mechanic and he created uh, Axie Infinity. So the, the, the company started in 2018. And basically what you do in this, this game you create is, uh, is well, has anybody, have any of us actually tried to figure out how to play Axie Infinity yet? 
I've not played it. I've watched like videos on how it works. But what about Jack? What about you? I've got. I've, I'm all signed up to it, but I never played. Like, Did you sign up? Can you walk us through the sign up flow? Because this is a big part of it. Huge friction to sign up for this game. It's right? very hard. Yeah, because you need a special wallet. And Ronan wallet. You have to, okay. Yeah, and so there's Jack. like two different. There's two. I, I'm not even going to be able to say it accurately. Like I, okay. I, I, I bumbled through it, and I was like, I'm. I can't even figure out how to like buy the thing and participate. Yeah, there's in the like game. love potion or something. Okay, so there, so there's, there's. Okay, so say there's eight steps. It's an eight step process just to join this game, right? So huge friction to join it. But basically, I think Jack touched on it, is like you need basically two wallets. You have to transfer your Ethereum over. You have to buy the special, uh, the smooth love potion, the SLP, which is the token to play in this game. And then you have to breed, I think, three uh, of these NFTs, which are called axes. They're basically like these characters, right? And these cartoon or digital characters. So huge friction to play this game. I think it's estimated now to start, just to start playing, it costs 1500 bucks like to own all these assets. But once you're in this world now, you start you can start accumulating more of the in-game currency, right? So it's called play to earn. And you can do it by going on adventures. You do it by competing against other axes. And it's kind of created this whole economy in this Axie Infinity world. And how it's really kind of hit the mainstream and interest in the public is like 40% of the users are in the Philippines. Okay. And they're actually able to make two to three times what they would make in a year playing Axie Infinity. So it's they're incredible. literally playing to earn, right? And it's gone to the point where actually the Filipino uh, uh, revenue agency or the equivalent of the IRS in the Philippines is trying to hunt down uh, Axie players and trying to get their cut. Of the I bet goods, those right? guys don't play around. Yeah, <laughs> no. Well, I mean, the the, the Filipino uh, government, President, uh, you know, yeah. they're, they're, well, I'll tell you about my, my wife's Filipino. I've been, I've been to Philippines a lot. Uh, uh, this is a tangent, but uh, uh, Duterte, the president, he's got the greatest nickname ever is Duterte Harry. And uh, so, <laughs> Oh my God. How did I not see that coming? Yeah, so all you need to know is this guy's not messing around. But uh, so the two things I'll summarize is it's basically Pokemon meets NFTs. And then it's a very long uh, onboarding process. But even with this extremely difficult onboarding process, it has exploded, right? Mm. It did between when it started in 2018 to July of this year, it did 21 million in revenue and uh, not revenue. Yeah, yeah, in revenue. So they take a 4.5% cut of any in-game transaction. So sorry, it's 21 million their cut or is that the total? No, that's their cut. So that's their cut. Wow. Yeah, okay. That's from 2018 to July. Since July, they've done half a billion dollars. Oh my God. Okay. So like, Insane. it's literally like this, right? It is a hockey stick. If you're listening, you can't see my fingers. It's going up and to the right. So to summarize, there's a third piece. So it's exploded now. And then, so that is the background of this game. It is NFT meets Pokemon. It's very hard to onboard, but enough people are on it and there's insane volume going on. So the people that are playing are loving it. And a lot of it is actually... I mean, some of it is just people literally, their livelihoods, right? It was made in Vietnam. 40% of the gamers are from the Philippines. Okay, so next part here that we're going to talk about is to answer Omar's question is like, what is, does this mechanic of playing to earn, is this kind of the future? Okay, so the first thing that I'll say about Axie Infinity is that they take a 4.5% cut 
of the in-game activity. That's already a huge difference versus an EA or an Activision Blizzard, which basically take 100% of in-game purchases. Go ahead, I was Jack. just going to plug one reference there. You know, the Chris Dixon, your take rate is my opportunity. Exactly. He unpacks this. Mm, yeah, yeah, that's a great one. He unpacks that. Um, I actually got a DM from one of our listeners and he actually, he brought a good point. though. was like the difference between take rates isn't actually dependent on crypto, right? Like EA could just choose to lower the, the take rate. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be crypto native for that. But, but, would, but is it the distribution of funds though that would be like very right. hard for think, EA to do? Yeah, I think that's the thing. I think I think you know. There's like the counter to his counter is basically like because there's this in-game kind of uh, token, and that makes it way easier to distribute fund. And there's no centralized authority doing that, right? So um, let me just finish this last point, and you guys can start hit me or, or dropping your points. But uh, all I'll say is this: is like John Lai basically said, what makes a what makes a play to earn game work is he compared basically why play to earn doesn't work and what games it doesn't work in and in the games it does work in. So he, he say, says there's basically three ways where a play to earn game can work. And then the three reasons are this. It's like, there have to be many ways of winning that game. Okay, so that's number one. Number two is the inputs have to be tokenized and tokens rather than finished goods. I'll unpack all these, but I just want to give a top line. And the third part, and actually this is to Jack's point, the third part is the markets have to be decentralized. So now let me unpack that. The first explanation for games that can work for play to earn is there have to be multiple paths to winning. So the example he uses as one that didn't work is Diablo. So in Diablo, the way that you won the game, quote unquote, was by basically killing monsters and receiving uh, uh, loot uh, for uh, successfully killing monsters. When Diablo introduced an auction type of economic element, it totally broke the game because now the users, if the only goal of that game is to kill monsters and win loot, they were just buying their way to victory. So that's that's a big difference, right? So this is the difference with Axie Infinity. There are many ways to win in Axie Infinity. You can finish the side quests. You can breed uh, animals that you like the look of them or you can compete against other users. So there's like many ways to quote unquote win. It's like a, some people will literally just spend the entire game breeding people, uh, breeding animals, right? So that's point number one is like, are there many ways to win this game for play to earn and make sense? Number two is what is the input for the uh, the game itself? Is like in Diablo, they're selling finished goods. You're basically just buying like, like hammers, right? But in Axie Infinity, you're breeding things that can have different outcomes. So again, it's like, it's almost similar to like how many di- different ways are the win. It's like, can you create a world where people have, can just kind of hang around? And that's kind of the other element. The third part is what Jack touched. is like decentralized. It's like, you can't have a central authority deciding where all the economic value is. And the point that John Lyon brought up, which is the last thing I'll say is the most downvoted comment in Reddit ever is from EA when they basically, do you guys remember this? Somebody got mad at them for like forcing them to buy like a Vader lightsaber or something to that effect. And then EA is like, hey, listen, like these are just how the game is played. And it's like the most downvoted thing in Reddit history. And John Lai's whole point is that like, you can't have a centralized authority dictating how this marketplace is going to run, right? If you want it to be play to earn. And and like, wouldn't EA have to like send 
five million 1099s and do KYC on every but like just the way crypto infrastructure is built versus Mm. EA like well you have to put direct deposit information in and they're going to send money to your bank account and like they're a money transmitter and all like crypto is just a whole different animal entirely no I think dude I think you should tease this out but like based on everything you heard from what I said it's like I think you you're on the path now of why to answer Omar's question is this the future of gaming I would say it would have to meet the criteria that we just talked about because like, again, I'll reiterate is like, number one is if the mechanic of the game only has one way to win, you literally break the game by introducing markets to it, right? Like Diablo, you broke the game because people will just buy their way to victory. But if there's many ways to win and you can create a whole world, basically an economy like Axie Infinity, it doesn't, it doesn't break the game to introduce economics, right? So I think that's very important. And actually, Trung, just to add, to zoom out a little bit, like to give people a sense of, like where this came from in the first place, because historically games, like when we were growing up, you just paid for the game, right? Like you bought yeah. FIFA or Streets of Rage or Street Fighter and you came home and you missed your exams, right? Like that's what we did, <laughs> right? And then after a while, this thing came about called Free to Play. And I'm not a gaming expert at all, but I interviewed a guy called uh, Kevin Chu. Uh, he's a founder of Rally and he had like two big gaming companies before and an e-gaming company. So if you're interested listen to that because he knows his stuff so it went from paid for games free to play and now this is kind of the evolution of that where no longer is it just free to play it's actually you're getting paid to play yeah and just a caveat being now what you mentioned with axie you actually it's not a pure free to play now because you have to pay for the axie up front and that's why they've even got these things called scholarships where people are renting out their axes essentially which is kind of incredible and it's that's a whole different topic no i think i think we should tease that out actually because this helps answer omar's question okay. it's like to answer is this the so this is another element which makes it extremely attractive for it being quote unquote a model that can be used in the future so again john lai literally talked about what you said Bilal. he said actually created a whole new end game so this goes back to his original point which is how many ways are there to win so a new way for a user of Axie Affinity to win now is like you play hard for three months, you collect this team of people. And then if you're tired of the game or don't really want to play anymore, you lend it like Bilal said to other players and the players now can earn to play with your characters and you get a cut of it. So that that's another level of this. Amazing. Yeah. Isn't that crazy that that exists? It's 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 like cabs, like in New York or whatever. Like most, a lot of those people don't own their own cars. They just oh, the medallion, it. right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And they're just renting out to their boy, and then they'll be like, "All right, just give me twenty percent or ten percent or whatever." Omar's question—that's what you're going to say, Bilal, yeah? Yeah, I was going to say to answer his question specifically: Will it? Will this be the go-to model, and or will it evolve from here into something else? My thesis on that is like. I'm going to do another sailorism. It's like you compete for network effect, however you can get it. Mm. So if maybe the greatest way to get network effect or the only way people were experimenting with network effect five years ago was buy, like have a really good online game and people will go to GameStop and buy, pay 60 bucks for it and then pay 50 bucks a month to just play it with their mates. Like, yeah, yeah that worked five years ago. But now it's like, how do you incentivize network effect and that will change over time, obviously. With Axie Infinity, maybe the first incentive was like, cool game, free to play. Then the next incentive was like, oh, you can make a load of money doing this. So that's like that's worth going through eight steps of sign up yeah. to get there. <laughs> and then like 
you as a person who owns 10 things can can expand this out to five more people so it feels to me like financial incentive is like one of the most powerful catalysts for network effect in my opinion that's going to be like if you're making a decision between playing a game for two hours where you earn zero or playing a game where you make money majority of people on earth are going to opt for yeah the if all option. things else are the same like they're right. both as enjoyable right. fun whatever yeah just charlie munker it man show me the incentive i'll show <laughs> you the outcome <laughs> well, yeah. and just to your point jack i think you're right mate the uh the only opportunity i see to evolve from what actually has right now in its current form it does two areas one is not having eight steps to to start right because that like that's something someone can go and like grease the wheel there and then the second part is if it's now fifteen hundred dollars or whatever it is to start the game right like most people can't afford that in a lot of parts of the world so yeah then you've got these sub economies of scholarships but if you didn't have to have a scholarship that's another area where you could have a complete free-to-play pure version of this again so maybe there's another opportunity and i know there's people creating these free-to-play things on other blockchains as well um and and, you know taking what's worked with axie and trying to like reinvent it so i think we're going to be in a place honestly where there's both like you're going to have the fortnights you're going to where there's a metaverse and travis scott is doing a concert and like you might pay entrance to get to it and uh pay for the for the virgil's like clothes in it or whatever but then i do think there's going to be more of these sorts of um kind of platforms so i don't know yeah what is anything else to close it out for you guys no i think i, I think just... that's a perfect answer i well I'll, I'll add my last part and then we'll throw up jack was just i think omar's answer is like is it the future is like it's a future and there is a place to exist for the other one to jack's point all things equal if you can make money playing and be entertained you're probably going to choose that one yeah i i don't know if we talked about this last week or i had this conversation with myself but the idea that we asked like <laughs> Is this the future? (laughs) Like, it's happening, right? Yeah. Like, I think the weird thing that we do as people is like, we always like consolidate it down to like, which cryptocurrency is going to be the only cryptocurrency and which game game model is going to be the game model. It's like, what's going on right now is just going to be a more insane version of that into the future. So there'll be like games that are going vertical on the adoption curve. And then there'll be stuff like Axie where you can earn minimum wage in two years time right because the efficiency of markets has eventually you know reached a plateau in all these different places but yeah i think that's like a blind spot for all of us is that we're we're like living through a reality and we're still asking questions about like what's real and stuff is already happening so 100%. what you're saying, Jack, is there is a second best. There's always something there's always something growing faster, but there's always Completely. something like like there's always higher risk in in spending all your time there or putting all your capital there, right? Just, Hold on, we need to we need to talk about this. Is like so Jack got board ape, he got Tom Sachs, he got crypto toads, cryptos. He doesn't want to take credit for any of that, but could you imagine? If Jack was toting Axie Infinity back in March and then like it rolled, but dude, that would have been the quadfecta. I mean, you started down the road, Crazy. right? I mean, you started down the road. Yeah. I, I yeah. Um, the game itself, like, uh, was just, I like, I get my, my, 
blind spot in gaming is I don't play games really. And I look at this stuff. I'm like, for, like how can millions of people be playing this? <laughs> playing this yeah. And what did the you not hell feel like that with Farmville and all that stuff as well? Same, dude. Yeah, yeah mafia. I did. Yeah. yeah. And but you're like, yeah, still blowing up your notifications every every twenty minutes. On Facebook, right? so. <laughs> twenty eight, two thousand eight. Well, the other thing I was going to say is, as soon as there's a football manager or championship manager version of this, uh, where they've got the football teams and the players as NFTs, where I can spend fourteen hours oh a night God, doing dude, it, like I did at school, I would, I would one hundred percent retire if that was a case. NIA podcast is cancelled. Bilal's gone full time. <laughs> playing, playing football manager. Um, all right, that was great, boys. I think that was a good way to wrap it up. Let's uh, just bang out this last question from uh, the group. We've got a little bit of time just to chat this through on social tokens. Matt O'Brien asks, what role do you see social tokens playing in helping creators turn their audiences into communities? I think we've touched on this a little bit before, but we haven't done like a whole segment on it. So any thoughts from from either of you? Yeah. I don't have any strong feelings on this, Jack. Yeah. Uh, you know what? There's this thing that's been going around Twitter the last week or so. I think Mike Cernovich made it like really popular. But the idea that there were 170 creators on Gumroad that earned 100 grand last year, I was one of them. And wow. the uh, that the idea that the creator economy is this, you know, promise of hey, go out onto the internet and make content and you'll, you know, you can pull down multiple six figures a year is, is not untrue, but it's also like a very, there's a hugely wide gamut of outcomes in that. And I think to like, I guess there's a parallel here to the Axie thing. Like you can apply a mechanic to something, but if the thing isn't, if the market doesn't want the thing, it doesn't matter, right? Like yeah. social tokens are a really efficient way to raise capital. But if no one wants to pay for the thing that you're doing, what difference does it make? All I, um, I do see there being like a more powerful incentive again for like the people in certain situations to like, further accelerate their growth like a, a creator that's selling a product that you don't have a stake in uh is not going to get the same virality that you're seeing in these nft projects because there's no financial upside for every single one of the people in their network right so i think it's a it's a i think it's a really powerful tool i think people will use it to do amazing things and raise a lot of money for them and their communities but it's like it doesn't fix the problem of like having something interesting to say or building like uh, building a business at scale. So I think it's uh, kind of the same as anything. And maybe I'm not making that profound of a point here, but um, I think power laws, man, it's like the reality is that it's going to accrue to the best of the best because of- and even more like it's way more cutthroat in this world right because it's yeah. like these are graphs that you're looking at now we've talked about BitClout in this context too exactly it's like, right do people really want to see their market cap and how healthy <laughs> is it for like an individual to wake up every day um and have you essentially have like you know two thousand shareholders or four thousand shareholders in a discord channel every day like what the hell's going on buddy like your market caps dropped ten dollars overnight. <laughs> you don't even have the twelve week, like you know, the twelve week financial reporting. And this, we talked about roadmaps and all of that stuff. So, yeah, social tokens are cool technology, and I think people who can like tolerate that level of scrutiny and maybe have like the team and the like vision in place to grow, 
can use a, a technology like that. But I think rushing into launching an instrument like that is probably not a fantastic idea in, in that like it just places an extreme amount of pressure on you and turns you into a financial instrument. However you want to look at it, like people's, the way people interact with you will change if your performance make it loses their money. Like that's a really, um, that's like a really massive thread that we can, un like we can unpack about web three in general. Like I think the promise of being able to join a network permissionlessly that's already succeeding is awesome. And like, if you can structure organizations in a way that people feel like they have involvement, but no one person is like, you know, the whole weight of something is riding on them unless that person really wants to sign up for that. But social tokens tied to a single person, I think for the same reason, BitClout is like struggling to get off the yeah. ground. It's a, it's a psychological barrier that maybe we will go past the Rubicon as we have done with some of this other stuff. But right now it feels like, you know, people are upset about the number of likes they get on Instagram or, you know, number of followers that unfollow them when they post a, something dumb or something that doesn't resonate. This is like taking that to a, like, is a, it, it's quite literally your worth in a chart or a number. And yeah. that gets like really like the comparison as well of like capital flight, even on BitClout, right? You, yeah. Oh, this person's not growing as fast as that person. So I'm going to invest in them. And because of the short termism or the hundred X outcome or the FOMO or whatever else, that mentality is just not being instilled in the same way. And unless you're really deliberate about that as a creator, like I like to think the visualized value not to do a self plug here is like those, the NFTs that I produce, it's not like, Hey, buy this and hundred exit overnight. It's like, I'm building this thing. I'm going to be building this thing for a long, 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 long time. And here's a, here's like, a thing that has an attachment to the success of this network that I'm building. I'm not going to report to you the financials of the business on like, you know, on a daily basis. And there's no chart where you can track that stuff, but tokens to me, is like, that is a, it's a different animal than selling unique a one-on-one. That's a, that's a really interesting way to think about it. The NFT is like almost it's similar. You get to participate. But different, yeah. But I don't need to, you know, I don't have to look at the price every single day. And uh, actually, a good a good way to, um, I don't know how good of an analogy it's, it's popped in my head, but so corporations often have the question of how do you give money back to shareholders, right? And one way is to do it by dividend, but that once you commit to a dividend, it's, it's very risky because if you ever break it, it looks terrible for the business, right? So the other option is to do buybacks because buybacks you can do whenever you want. And you you get to give back money to shareholders, but you also can get to control when that happens. Whereas a dividend every quarter is going to come out. So it's like in the same way, it's like the social token is like almost like the dividend. Once you turn that tap on, it's it's a much different way. It's like it's got to be coming. If it doesn't come, something bad's happening. Whereas a one time buyback or whenever you want to do a special buyback, it's like the NFT, right? Here it is. Enjoy yourself. It's like maybe maybe you'll get some more, but that's it. I don't I don't have to interface with you on on a, on a guaranteed cadence. Yeah, yeah the I'm, earning stuff is really crazy. Like that's when it starts to get to like, yeah. I mean, dividend stock is like a socially accepted Ponzi scheme, essentially, right? It's like this yeah. business has to keep growing for everyone to keep getting paid. And we talked about this on the last episode, like that's what has to happen in every instance for this to appreciate in value. 
this person or this team has to keep doing whatever it is they do to make more people want to buy it or make people want to pay more for it. And that's hard to do. Yes. The other thing to add on communities is I think there are some unique things you can do with a token in the same way. I think the NFT example is is really good because you can you're basically saying here's access, here's a pass to our community. And I think where it might work a little bit better is versus it being one person, it could be like a little mini organization. So for example, Tom Osman, Shiny yeah. Object, I think they've got a token or he's launching one or something like that. And for something like that, everyone knows it's his face and his name attached to that, but it's not by the Tom Osman coin. It's by the shiny object club token or whatever and by being a part of that by doing tasks by being within the community you can earn some of those things so i I think that's where there can be some really cool use cases and um but i think the way i always think about these things is can i do this like is there a reason for it to be a token do you get what i mean like sometimes we just like to use the totally the new stuff when sometimes a dollar works too and sometimes an nft might work like you said so like we've talked about it for our stuff and i like if we ever did a official community in the future you know right now we just have a telegram group of people hanging out but like what would that look like and and so yeah we would have to have that discussion like would it be a token would it be an nft would it just be a discord with dollars uh like a patreon style thing where people get extra access so yeah, Jack, I can see you thinking about something. Go for it. I was just going to say like maybe a good heuristic for it is like a mini IPO or something where it's like you get to a stage in your business or your community or your product where it's like we can prove traction and we can like we're going to market to offer stake in this thing versus like the way you would and maybe nobody's even thinking about it this way. I'm just coming at it from the like, hey, should I launch a so- social token because they're like a thing in the same way that a lot of people message me and be like, Hey, I want to get into NFTs. And I'm like, why? <laughs> right, right, right. One, why, why would anyone buy that from you? And like, this is just the age old question. I think is like, what, and Bilal, you just brought this up is like, yeah, just ask why would a token make sense in this instance versus, you know, just go into market with a product or a subscription business. And I think like, Crypto is such a shiny object, you know, excuse the correlation to Tom Osman's um, unity. Yeah, shout out to shiny objects. But the idea that like this can lead people down the path of like just layering in a technology for technology's sake instead of leveraging something that actually makes the experience better for everyone and makes the... That's easier, yeah. Yeah, and, and like it aligns with what the person is creating and they're like comfortable with psychologically because it is a like i have friends who've launched nft projects and they've got a bunch of traction and then they're just on the wheel of like Mm. shit how do we keep this going and like at what point does it like because there's so much scrutiny on the price of the asset like if you ever need to change direction there's like it's a lot harder than having a you know 12 or 6 or send an investor update every three months yeah the only and the last thing I'll add is on the flip side, just to round out a couple of things where I think it can be useful. Uh, again, not to plug my stuff too much, but the chat with Kevin Chu, we talked about credit coins. Basically, that's what their businesses rally. So we talk all about that. And one of the things he said is, "You we're so US centric a lot of the time because we're or you know Western centric or whatever." 
And we just think of like, oh, everyone's got dollars or whatever. But in a game, which is what they were doing with hundreds of millions of people, like the, the currency thing is a big thing. So if you bring everyone in to this one token that everyone uses, like Roblox has their version, Fortnite probably has their own version. That is a huge reason to use it. So if you're doing something globally and you want to bring people into that system, that's a way of you basically creating your own mini economy. And the second thing is something we've talked about with NFTs in the past is when you're spending seven Ethereum on a toad, right? Versus, you know, seven times three and a half thousand 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 dollars, which is like whatever money nowadays. Doesn't like even matter, grand. right? Or yeah, what, can, what is exactly. <laughs> if you say, oh, I'm spending, like for me, I put, I spent two ETH on toad. That was seven grand, seven and a half grand <laughs> at a time. But if I said seven and a half grand in my head, I'm like, this is ridiculous. Like that's kind of crazy. But if I say two ETH in my head, I'm like, oh, how's that compared to how many ETH I have? So then I'm like, okay, it's not crazy, right? But but it's just kind of a, there's this value perception of the dollars that you pay your rent in, right? So as a creator, maybe that is something you want to consider. So I think there's pros and cons there, um, something to watch out for. But personally, yeah, I I'm, think there's maybe better ways to do it. I'm not trying to FUD the social tokens either. Like, you know, no, we're definitely. having a couple of FUD <laughs> sections on this. Just like... <laughs> really think about what you're trying to accomplish with it and if that mechanic makes sense then go for it and one of the reasons exactly. like i'm also sort of a little skeptical now is like is it a security how does it work like how do you know how do you file all of this stuff and that stuff is still nascent and maybe when stripe That's is like point. let's do it then that will change one thought i had while you're talking below is like maybe the next generation's etf is like a basket of my favorite creators ah, coins. love that love that so like you don't look at you don't looking at like the movements of everybody's posts on a daily basis or whether this one person goes up or down it's like this is the segment of culture i love like these are all the musicians i listen to these are all the youtubers these are all the podcasts that's I listen a great to. one yeah, i'm gonna back that. those up and then i see my portfolio grow as opposed to this one thing. And I, maybe because we're so close to it, we're like staring at one asset. You know, it's like, I'm thinking about it as in terms of like person logs on, this is the only thing they're invested in and they're just staring at it all day. And we know that's not the case, right? Even your NFT portfolio, if you've been in the game for a few months, half of it, you've probably forgotten you even bought at this point. <laughs> so like the long-term bets, I think we're, you know, that's what we talk about on all of this stuff. Um, that is investment advice. Is like, if you if you're trying to sell it, tomorrow to make 10x on it maybe it's a bad idea yeah love it perfect trying anything else to wrap up mate i think that, no, was, that a great... was great man oh we're on a roll right now no, let's today, finish strong i love this conversation today yeah and just uh i guess the only thing to call out um from my side was it kind of relates back to what we were talking about the inflection points i actually think that's a great point you made about these broader you know things that we're used to in a traditional world so especially when it comes to investing like there's no real way to buy you know the etf equivalent like there are a few there's a few like i think there's one in canada um like bitcoin trust or whatever it's called and then there's uh like a DeFi pulse thing where you can buy the, buy that index but it's just you know so early like there's going to be so many more versions of these but like the way you just described like the YouTubers or whatever, like there's like four or five um, personal finance YouTubers that I think do an amazing job of summarizing their stuff. And if they came together and were like, here's five of us plus another 10, you can basically invest in it. 
as a collective, that is actually a really cool way yeah, of thinking about compelling. it. Yeah, that's compelling. Yeah. Well, the NA is out. Let's build that. That's true. Yeah, I know <laughs> people asking in the Telegram. Yeah, mate. Um, but I know we got to wrap up, but that was a really good chat, boys. Um, yeah, it was, it was great. It was great. All right, boys. Well, if you're still made it here all the way let us know in the comments below um and uh, make sure you join the telegram group smash the like button and uh, we will see you again next week for more fun <laughs>